Sav. Benny, how are you, mate? Good. How are you? I'm well, mate. I'm on a, a couple of days R and R, so always nice to get away, recharge your batteries. But yeah, mate, everything's great. I was going to say a bit MIA. Where are you? Hold up in for a little while. No one's seen you in the academy this week. You're a bit of a mystery man after the big gratings on Saturday. Yeah. So um, just with the long weekend coming up, we've got uh, Friday through to Monday, which is public holidays. So. Um, I just thought it would be better to, I mean, I know that it's going to be a, a hectic uh, public holiday, so I thought I'd try and get away while it was a little bit quieter. I know the academy's quietened down a little bit. Um, so I just thought I'd take the opportunity to just to slip up the coast for a few days and, you know, I generally like to stay around and hang out with the family over the um, over the weekend and, you know, just sort of just take our foot off the pedal and, you know, whether it be go down the beach or, go to some markets or, you know, we're planning on going and taking the kids out. So I thought I'd get away a little bit earlier and come back and spend time at home. So, yeah, mate, nice, nice to get away. True story, I do remember some of the guys turning up in wetsuits. (laughs) I do remember walking into my first class and thinking, this is ridiculous. So, Sav, who have we got on podcast 16 today? How do you know this dude? How do you? I've been told he's a cool cat. How do you know this guy? As long as he's not breakdancing around me, he's a very cool cat. Um, look, Aaron's, a, a, you know, as mentioned before, Aaron's a very, very old friend of mine. We grew up back in Maroubra. Uh, he also is a black belt out of Jean-Jacques Machado, traveling around the world a lot, you know, residing in L.A., um, but in Australia, you're in Australia at the moment, Cootie? Yeah, I'm in Melbourne. Been yeah, here a couple, so, of, couple of days. You, you might think that's an unusual question for, you know, the story I just let into about being old-time friends. I should know where he's at, but this is, a, this is a mystery man. This guy could be in Germany or Sweden doing something with watches or in L.A., you know, competing in some tournament or training under Jean-Jacques Machado himself or over at Botany running a class, you know, I know he does a little bit of work with his good friend, Troy at SJJ, like this guy's, yeah, pretty versatile and a longtime friend of mine and uh, really happy to have Aaron back on the show today. And I just, mm-hmm. yeah, really excited to hear what he's got to say. So welcome, Aaron. Good to have you back on, mate. Thanks for having me. Um, <laughs> you might be excited what I've got to say. I'm scared of what you're going to ask. Um, I've got to, I want to start off with the first question. How was... I saw you on Instagram Live get into what looked like a cold lake. What was going? Can you tell us what was going on there? Um, you- sure. We were. I just got back from Geneva. I've been there for Geneva Watch Week, um, exhibiting Vossel, which is the the company that I run, Australian brand that I run. And um, you know, most of the most of the brands are out. Champagne and Ferraris out the front of their hotels, and all that carry on. But for us, yeah. as a as an Aussie brand, we kind of like to, you know, the founder swims every morning at Manly Ocean Swims, and we said we're going to continue to do that. And I love a good ice bath, and we had the Lake Geneva, that's six degrees, um, across the road from our hotel. So every morning we um, we had a little cold plunge. It was lovely. It looked awesome. It, it looked like something out of a movie. Well, it it felt also awesome when when you did it properly. The very first morning. Um, I nearly shit myself. I I walked into my feet and I thought, oh, this is nothing. And then I just dived in like I was just having a swim down Marne pool. 
and um, my whole body was in like it was like I'd been electrocuted. <laughs> um, how, how long you stay in for? Like, have you progressed on time? Like, what was your, when you first went in? I was I was talking to Anthony about this. Ready's place on Sunday just passed. He's got a little ice bath there. He said the first time he jumped in, he pushed out twenty or thirty seconds. And while we're over there on Sunday, obviously he's had this ice bath for a while. He was doing around sort of four minutes. I mean, he got yeah. out nearly deep, clinically dead, but he was you know doing <laughs> four minutes. Five. Five or six minutes, um, but that's just yeah, walking nice. in and sitting, sitting to your neck. All yep. of the, yep. all of all of the Swiss, they don't put their head under. They go into their neck and they put their, they wear a beanie, um, and they sit. Yeah, Anthony in, was doing the same. They no go in slowly, go in slowly, so mm. it doesn't doesn't affect their like, so that their body gets used to the temperature change, like over time. Um, mm. So they all thought the dive in was pretty stupid, and um, I agreed with them. <laughs> <laughs> After the fact, I hundred percent agreed. Cool. So when you know um, Sab was has been uh, was introducing you and saying you trained under John Jack Mercado and you around. Where did Jiu Jitsu start for you? Where Maruba was that Surf, first moment? Maruba Mar- Surf Club. You're one of it you're actually, one of that crew. It actually started for me probably like a couple of decades before that, fighting with my brother and probably Sav and that in my <laughs> in my living in my living room. But you always got in trouble, and then the boys tried to the boys tried to get me down to the surf club to to do jujitsu, and I thought, no way in the world am I doing that. You guys don't want to beat me up. I'm not stupid. And then finally, I went, and I thought, actually, this is fun. You know, I'm not getting into any trouble for this, and I can, you know, I can let loose and have a let off a bit of steam. And everyone was super nice. They weren't trying to belt me up; they were trying to teach me. And I thought, I'm into this. Three months later, I had my first comp, which was a different story altogether. Tell us about it. Tell, tell us that different story. You you brought it up. Let's keep going. Ah, ha, ha. No, I mean, I went from being very warm and welcoming and people trying to teach me to people trying to kill me. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing. I'd be, I'd only, I'd probably done a dozen classes, if that, in, in the three months. And I signed up for the first comp. And on the way there, I was talking to, you know, my girlfriend was trying to talk to me, but I didn't, I didn't know like we're driving and I could just hear this noise. And I ended up saying, will you just shut up? Shut, stop. And then I realised I was absolutely just shitting myself on the way there. I couldn't hear any more noise. I couldn't do anything. And then I, um, the fight started and me and this guy just hung on to each other for five minutes. That's all. That's all that happened. We both burned out our grips and just hung on for, for life. Neither of us knew what to do. He put his hand inside my gi, so he got a, uh, he got a penalty. Um, which meant I won zero zero. Neither of us were any chance of sweeping each other or choking each other or doing anything. And I I won um, nil all, and and because he had a penalty, which was the you know the worst thing to ever possibly happen to me, because it meant I had to go back out again, and I couldn't feel my hands. I wanted to cry, um, and I was just a I was just a mess. I was looking for something to trip over so I could hurt myself on the way into the final, and then. Um, you know, the final was pretty much the same thing, except I was spent for five minutes with my arm, you know, twisted behind my back. And then, um, you know, I, I can't, I can't remember what happened, but like everything was blurry. I had so much, so much anxiety. I couldn't see properly. And then I just thought when I come off that, that was a turning point for me where I said, I can't have things in my life that scare me that much. Um, I need to do more of this until, until it doesn't scare me anymore. And, you know, it took me a couple of years to learn how to win, but, um, you know, I think it that that was the start of me 
kind of having my fight against myself to overcome my own fears and overcome my own head noise. So you know what? I wasn't I was gonna ask Sab if he remembers all of this, but I've got such an important question for you up. Is that something that has is that mentality of um fighting stuff that's actually scares you? Has does that go through your your commercial experience as well? Does that go through all of your entrepreneurial experience? It goes everywhere. It yeah, I had a I had a breakdown in my early twenties, like a complete nervous breakdown. And you know, I was hiding away from everything. And so my life became so small. I wouldn't do anything that gave me the littlest bit of fear. Um, and then, you know, it became a, you know, it, it took me three or four years to, to overcome that of hard work. And then I kind of, it, it, it made me have to start to overcome things or I was going to, I was stuck. Um, then I went through a stage where I was looking for things to overcome. And then when jujitsu came into my life, it, it was the perfect, perfect choice. Um, because yeah. I could, I could problem solve under pressure and I could over, you know, safely, get out, put myself out there in front of all my mates where it's just me. And, you know, I'd always played rugby league where it's a, a team sport. You can hide if you want to, um, but there's no no hiding in, in jiu-jitsu. You know, it's, it's you versus, you know, yourself. I mean, sure, there's a guy trying to fight you, but the, the hardest fight is, you know, you're in front of all your mates. You don't want to let them down. You don't want to let yourself down. And, you know, it really amplifies all of that self-doubt we have in our lives and, um, and gives you an opportunity to practice dealing with that shit absolutely true i find i find jujitsu so like emotionally challenging more almost more than physically challenging sav do you remember your first comp yeah very clearly you know <laughs> it was pretty quick um pretty interesting you know what Cootie's saying just piggybacking the same feelings and the same emotions i do do remember feeling quite confident i was probably a little bit later than Cootie. i was probably about six months seven months down um and I just, you know, all I remember is starting at Maruba Surf Club with Aaron as well. And much like he said, I was something that it was, I was pretty pretty scared of, to be honest. I, I, um, I enjoyed the camaraderie and seeing the guys down there and really good friendships and a lot of fun when we were training. Um, you know, I mean, there's some pretty tough guys down there too. Um, you know, a couple of those Maruba locals and they had been doing a little bit of jiu-jitsu pre- um, you know, pre me joining. So by the time I had got down there, they were a little more educated. And for someone walking, I mean, like if you walk into, you know, botany today, you've got all that fundamental program. You've got the, you know, all the teachers who are educated floating around, but you know, and you've got a lot of good direction. Um, so you kind of, it's kind of like they hold your hand before, you know, they let you go. Whereas down there, we were just sort of thrown in to the lines then almost. Um, and it was, it was pretty daunting. So, you know, we were, we didn't, we were learning, but there were, you know, it was a tough environment. And, um, you know, I just was really blown away by the, you know, the rear naked choke and the, you know, the, the mounted arm bar and things like that. That's all we kind of, you know, what I was taken aback by, you know, I wasn't understanding balance and sweeps and, you know, keeping tight and stuff like that. It was just more the big show stuff. And so I rolled into my first tournament and um, I think I've spoken about this before and I, you know, just prior to the tournament, we were working on, um, so close guard top. So the person on bottom was cross choking uh, from the close guard. And we were just doing this very simple thing where you fold your arms over and put pressure down onto their arms, which actually gives the, the, the other fighter an advantage, but it stops the choke. So anyway, we went in and um, I remember sort of, you know, looking across at the guy and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, fuck, what am I doing here? 
I really didn't want to be there. Much like Aaron, I was looking for an excuse to to pretty much get out of there. But although once I got on the mats, I did feel a little better. Um, yeah. Hard to explain. Yeah. Like soon as once you touch it. Soon as combatch, you don't care anymore. No, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Like it's it's terrifying leading into it, but yeah, I'm glad you felt that too. Because when I was on the mats, I was reasonably okay. It's kind of I think it's the anticipation of what's coming that is nerve wracking. I think, um, and that's for any. I sorry, mate. Just on that anticipation, you're right. Go I ahead. think I think anticipation anxiety is one of the biggest mm. killers of all of all of our lives. Not killers is the wrong word, but it. It stops us from doing so many things. It causes us to waste so much energy. And, you know, you yep. end up exhausted anticipating something that's not going to happen because our brains just run through these worst-case scenarios over and over and over. And, you know, you get there and you go, what was I worrying about? You know, anticipation yeah. anxiety is the is the pits. If yeah, yeah mate, you, you, that, hit, you hit in, the nail on that. Go ahead, In ben. mental health, they call that catastrophizing. I mean, yeah. I'm not a mental health specialist or anything, but I'm, I'm around them all day, and they call that catastrophizing. I feel like I do that quite a bit when I go get as a white belt when I get on the mat. You know, like I'm going to get on the mat here, and you know, someone's going to unscrew my head. Yeah, so, I think it's it's like like Cootie was saying. I, I call it nervous energy. It's the biggest um, drainer of your energy. Yeah, and I just you know anyone who's listening who's you know considering. Um, you know, thinking about going into a competition, you just need to understand that we all, you know, those feelings you have, we all feel them. We all have felt them. Um, and it's very common, but it's just, it's such a good thing for the soul. You'll always come out of that situation, regardless of result. You'll always come out feeling just incredibly, incredibly fulfilled. It's, it's such an accomplishment, um, you know, in life and just putting yourself in that challenge with something that you're learning against someone else who is also learning. It's one of the biggest fulfillments you'll ever face. So I highly encourage, um, as you know, with Botany, I highly encourage people to get in and compete, even if it's just once, you know, mightn't be for them, but I always like them to dip their toes in the water, you know, but um, yeah. And my, my first competition, just getting back to that was very quick. Um, as I mentioned, I was learning defense on the cross cross collar choke from, you know, in close guard. Um, and I remember taking the guy down and thinking, okay, wow, this is easy. And I was on top of him and I kind of glanced up at, you know, Bruno and those guys and just, it was more like, okay, this, I've got this, you know, this is over. This is really cool. And he reached up and put that cross collar choke in and I thought, okay, wow, how good's that? That's the only really thing I know on defense. I've got this. So I kind of pushed my hands down and, you know, released the pressure on the choke. And I thought, okay, here we go. Game over. You know, I was sort of almost glancing over to the metal station and, and then before I know it, I, I, I actually said to him verbally, um, let me go, stop. You know, I, I just had the stars coming through and, I, you know, I was close to going unconscious. So, you know, and I, I just learned so much from that. I really um, think back to that fight a lot. Um, you know, some, I mean, always the losses will give you so much more to, to grow from. Um, I, I took me back to the academy where I worked really, really hard that year and I pushed on for another four to five months, flew up to Brisbane, did the Australian titles up there. Although I only had uh, two people in the division, I was fortunate enough to get to the final and win the Australian championships in my white belt, which is one of my most proudest moments in jiu-jitsu. Um, I've traveled and trained all around the world, you know, all through Brazil, North America, you know, South America. And that little white belt trophy I've got at home, it's a little glass uh, trophy and it's got a little cup 
lays it inside it on top of this little wooden thing. It's, I mean, it's only the, you know, the size of my, half the size of my hand, but it sits at front. You know, I'm really proud of it uh, just because of where I was at that stage in my career and, you know, what I did after that first loss, you know. So that, that, that's, a, uh, that's a good memory for me. It took something not so positive to create one of the better memories of my journey. That's, that's like a lot of things, you know, you have to go through some of the rough patches to get to the good stuff. Yeah, so, absolutely. Cody, what's one of your, you know, um, Sav said, to, Sav mentioned that uh, you you have had like, you know, you go, you've been training with Jean-Jacques Mercado and all these other amazing people. What's a great memory for you from, if you think back over all the years since, you know, since your white belt, black belt now, what's the memory that stands out? Is there one memory that stands out more than anything else? <laughs> I want to say a tournament in California, but I'm not going to say that. Yeah, you're um, breaking up, mate. Um, anyway, so next question, Cooty. Um, how's everything with uh, the family, mate? <laughs> yeah, mate. Uh, I think you're going to have to go into it now. Family's good. Family's good. <laughs> okay, next question. Um, yeah, mate. So um, look, there are a lot of there. There are a lot of things. It's it's hard to say. You know, jiu-jitsu has added so much to my life and, you know, as a white belt in growing up in Maroubra, I, and, you know, watching the UFC over the, over the, you know, over the years and just thinking, wow, this is incredible. Um, never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined, you know, getting my black belt from John Jacques Machado, who's one of the pioneers of the sport. Um, you know, he, he was, a, you know, his first cousins were the Gracie. His mother was a Gracie. Um, and they're, you know, he, he trained under Hickson every morning and, you know, so getting it straight from the source and getting my black belt from there is quite unbelievable. But I, I guess there's, I mean, sure, there are plenty of memories, but it's how much jiu-jitsu has added to my life that's incredible. Like I've taught in the boondocks in Vietnam where the school was this concrete building with no windows and no lights. So we had to wrap it up as soon as, you know, class finished when the light finished. Um you know, there's, I, I, and because I'm under John Jacques, you know, I could walk into any school. And I walked into a school once when I was working in um, in Washington, and um, it was a. I, I always take my gear, and I always Google a local school, and, I, and it was a fifty fifty school. And when I walked in, um, you know, halfway through the class, Ryan Hall walked out. It was his school, and then he just saw me as a you know, with my John Jack gear and he, he goes, oh, can you come and roll me? And then I spent, you know, 35, 40 minutes rolling with him in the in the corner, you know. And he says, oh, I love John Jack, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he's a pretty small guy and he controlled me chest to chest inside control without using his arms. Freak. Like it was, <laughs> it was just like it was unbelievable, you know. And then um, I I guess, yeah, and that I talked about the, the UFC and, you know, Chuck, Chuck Liddell was my hero back then. But, you know, in the last couple of years during COVID, like he, he would come to my house to learn the gi, um, just him and I out the back on my mats. You know, there's so much that jiu-jitsu has added that is just, for me, like I don't know where my life would have been without it. So I don't know. Yeah, mate, I agree. It's, it's interesting what you're saying because, you know, yeah, look, I was thinking, you know, I mean, obviously my, I met with Cootie in the, in the, you know, Brown Belt World Championships in LA, you know, and he, he won the World Championships there. And that's the question that he was, 
you know, not, not going down the path of, but this must be acknowledged. It's a great achievement. And just listening to him talk about all these things, it's actually igniting my memory. Um, and you know what? I quite often will say, oh, you know, in Brazil, in my purple belt, I did this and that. But it's really, really cool to hear what he's saying because, you know, his journey is very similar to my journey. We're just doing it in different parts of the world. But what he's, you know, saying jiu-jitsu has offered to him, I can really get my hands around that and appreciate it. You know, I've also been fortunate enough to spend time one-on-one with Hickson. I've also been fortunate enough to, you know, spend, you know, so much time with Andre Galvao in Brazil and America, you know, one-on-ones down at Black House. And I was very jealous. You know, I've, I was very jealous of you at that time. Yeah, yeah. He was, was, um, well, you know, he was like my favourite. Yeah, you know, look, I've always idolised him, you know, Hoyla, you know, Hickson. I mean, this, the, mate, the list goes on. But um, just to, you know, have such an interest in him and then, you know, for Annalise and, and Owen to organise f- for that meet with him. And I was in Rio one year and I was it was my birthday and, you know, just they said, well, look, we're going over to Sushi Leblon. Let's go grab a bite to eat, you know, and I thought, okay, no worries. And when we walked over, I walked into the restaurant and Andre Goval was sitting there with uh, Angelica and and I've just gone like, you know, what the fuck's going on here? And not only did, um, you know, Annalise and I had reached out to him to, you know, say, look, this guy likes you, he wants to catch up. Not only did he offer to, you know, because I'm trying to organise a private, but not only did, you know, he say, yep, no worries. Um, you know, Andre said, like, what's what's the occasion? What are you guys here for? And he said, well, he's here to do the Worlds. This is before the Worlds moved to LA. They were in um, Baja. Um, and, you know, when you used to go to that tournament there, you used to have to enter, not with money, but you used to have to buy a bag of rice, black beans, farofa, something like that. You to, had to donate food to get into the tournament, which went into these big Hesham sacks, which were then taken up into the favelas. So stuff like this is just amazing memories but anyway so Annalise said we were there for that and he and it's his birthday and he said okay well how about I come meet him and we'll have lunch and I turned up and seen him there at Sushi Leblon he had a gift for me and you know relationship was built from there and you know I'd spent some time with Hickson in LA and you know I've been fortunate enough to go and spend time with Aaron in LA as well train under Jean-Jacques and yeah, just, you know, just all the different experiences, hang gliding off mountains in Rio while I've been over there and, you know, jumping out of planes and whatever, going up into favelas and, you know, going all through there and hanging out in there and just, just seeing a different part of the world that would never have been achievable without Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. And today, you know, look, myself and Aaron are from a very uh, strong area where, you know, family and friends are very tight. Um, and I still have a lot of friends from back there that some of them don't train jiu-jitsu. Um, but look, I'll be honest with you, most of my immediate friends at the moment are, you know, associated around the jiu-jitsu scene. You know, I was just thinking it's interesting. Both of you both started off in in, in, in Maroubra and you've both sort of gone off in different directions. But it, it, like you said, Sav, it's very similar. You know, Aaron's got um, this, you know, with um, Jean-Jacques Machado your proximity to Hoyler um, Gracie, you know, you've gone off in different directions, but you're still, you're hanging around the, you know, what other sport can you hang around the greats? Yeah. Look, sorry, just one thing Aaron said to me, we're over in the LA, uh, world championships in LA. And one thing he said to me, because when we went, like when we, we were in the final together in the Brown belts and when we got there, is this before, is this, this be- is, it's a pretty big organized say. Is this before or after you try to attack my foot? Oh, no, mate. I'll, 
it just this is this is um this is at the start so anyway when we're sitting in there what they do is as each fighter comes in to fight in the final they've got a big screen behind and myself and aaron come up on the screen with the australian flag and aaron says to me what do you reckon sav and i said what's that and he said what about that have a look up on that screen mate I'm getting goosebumps saying this, actually. He said, mm-hmm. not bad for a couple of blokes from Maroubra meeting here in, L- in LA in the final, is it? And it just, like, i got goosebumps all over me, you know. It's mm-hmm. like just two blokes from Maroubra, and here we are, like, you know, 20 years later on our journey, 15 years later, and there we are, you know, a couple of, couple of Australian flags, a couple of brown belts from Maroubra mm-hmm. in the final in LA. It was, um, honestly, mate, it was, yeah, such a, such a it's just one of those things. Look where we ended up. Mate, it just adds unreal. Yeah, so it just adds so, so much value. Oh, Aaron, Aaron, um, Aaron, could you can you bring my head back when you come back to Sydney? Jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu got it in a bag. Jiu-jitsu was the winner on the day. Oh, he's, nice, Aaron. Oh, he's, nice. He's very kind, mate. I um, I tried to tried to dislocate his foot very quickly, and um. I actually thought I had it, but yeah, Aaron is very good at going underneath, putting a hand in the collar while you're attacking him and breaking his foot in half, and spinning into a clock, spinning into a, a, a underneath like a clock style choke. And before I knew it, mate, I was yeah, I was nearly taking a nap. So, but you know, all that said and done, and you know, like it's such a great achievement for him. I have to walk into my computer room and look at all my medals, and I every time I look at that big shiny silver medal in the world championships, I think of Aaron. Because he has the other color that I wanted, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, mate, look, great, great achievement, and just you know, definitely, just something that is is been amazing part of our journey. And and look, to be honest, and I don't think I've ever really said this to Aaron. Obviously, I've spoken to him and said, you know, congrats. And but you know, he he was he'd kind of gone overseas, and he was training really hard, you know. And to his credit, mate, he he was he was in that place where that was deserved for him. I think. You know, I, I'd trained with him leading into it and, you know, I knew he was, you know, I'm definitely turning up the fight. Don't you worry. I don't go there not to fight. But I think the medal, I know the medal went to the right guy at the right time because he, he thoroughly did deserve that. And, and I'm so proud of him as a friend. And, and it was a great honour for me to be there beside him to, you know, see that happen and be part of it. You know, we got a really good photo I have up on my wall at home. It's just after myself and Aaron finished the fight. We just got our medals and... We were walking back through the crowd. You know, I had my tail between my legs. Aaron's chest was as wide as the stadium. I was limping. And uh, Guy Mendes was there. And I said to Guy, you know, can we grab a photo with you? And Guy said, yeah, sure. And I've got that up in my computer and myself, Aaron, and Guy Mendes, you know, pretty much just after the fight. So many good memories were had. I had to sell that medal to get to pay to get my foot fixed. <laughs> oh, shit. Mate, I would have bought it for double the price. <laughs> I mean, that's what, but that, like, we got getting back to what jujitsu gives you, you know, when I, when I'm listening to both of you and you're both, both of you, and I, I, I've never met Aaron in person, but I, when I was chatting to him, um, recently to get him on the, on the podcast, I said, oh, you know, I'm actually quite terrified of rolling. And Aaron, who I've not met before, barely spoken to, um, said, the next time I'm in the academy, I'll have a roll with you. You know, I'm really good at that. You know, and the generosity of the people who are good at this is, I think that's really unusual in sport. And in this sport, it seems to be absolutely commonplace. I think it, you know, it, like, it's all about helping each other. It, it has to yeah. be because it, it's the one sport that breaks your ego. Because if, mm, if, if you can't handle getting beaten, 
day after day after day, you're not coming back. So by purple, brown, black, most of the egos are broken and everyone just wants to – and everyone knows how, how tough it is and we all have our own fears that, we, you know, Sav and I both talked about ours earlier um, and we're all overcoming them in different ways through jiu-jitsu. They, 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 represent, well, they present differently but, you know, the result is – or the end result is, is growth for all of us, whether we're helping or whether we're, you know, being helped. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that's just it's you know I know we're kind of you know piggybacking the same thing, but jujitsu is one of those things that it, it just constantly challenges you every time you walk in the door. Like some of these blue belts, you know, it's even some of the white belts, mate, you know, in the academy at the moment, and some of the purples. And and to be completely honest, I'm you know a lot of people say, oh, you train a lot with the the black and brown belts. Like people think that's because I'm you know, I'm brave. No, I'm smart. Training with those guys is safe ground, honestly. And, uh, you know, I hope that makes sense to you, Benny, but, you know, training with the whites and the blues and the, you know, it's a little bit raw. It's a little bit, you know, there's a higher risk of injury. Um, you know, running an academy now, I, I want to avoid that at all costs. You know, I did feel like, you know, early last year with one of the big blue belts, I, you know, I was perfectly fine, but at the position I was in, I, I thought, okay, here we go. Here's my arms broken. He's just leaning back on it and he come up with his weight and I just thought, you know what, I can't. It, it's tricky, mate. You've got to you've got to keep training, but you just got to be conscious of what you're doing. And you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, I, I love to roll with the Browns and Blacks, and I'll roll with anyone. But you know, they're they're educated, they train hard, they come fast, they come hard, and they're committed. But there's there's a tendon, there's a, there's a control that they have, um, and it just I feel a lot safer with it. So for me, yeah, you got to be humble, mate. Because the key, it, you know, if if you if you like Aaron said, if you if you don't, if you can't accept being beaten and stuff like this, it's just not for you. There's no other sport where you're constantly challenged and learning every day. Like I don't know anyone who walks in and says, "Oh, look, I'm you know, no one can catch me. I'm good." It's it's non-existent in in even the best guys in the world. Yeah, see, I walk in saying everybody can catch me, and I don't want to have my arm deta- detached from the rest of my body because I have to go back to work. I think so. Yeah, but you'll get you'll get better, mate. It's... <laughs> and that's just we've all we've all been there. Look, there's a saying that John Jark yep. John John Jark says to people, and I was during COVID, he gave me some mats, and my stepson Joe was with me when we picked them up, and he said to Joe he said I need I want you to know because I'm worried that you will hurt yourself I know Aaron won't hurt you but I want you to know that mm. jiu-jitsu is a game to learn it's not a fight to win and I think yeah, that is part of the good. problem at white and blue belt people think they're in they're fighting and that's why they're doing stupid yeah. things that's why they can't that's why they can't breathe after like 30 seconds of a roll because they've just gone mm. all in and they're thinking, I have to be stronger. I have to do this. But strength, the more strength you use, the the slower your jiu-jitsu growth is going to be because you're not using jiu-jitsu. Mm. And when Sav talks about I'm smart, I've, I'm rolling the, the blacks and browns for self-preservation, it's because they're not necessarily fighting. They're just actually calculating mm. what are the threats here and what you know what do I need to do to address them and wh- where can I find chess. yeah and where can I find the leverage and that's quite gentle and peaceful um, and that's you know that's yeah. why jujitsu is called the gentle art and but that mm. you know obviously there are it's a fast growing sport and there are new white belts you know coming to every class and hundreds and hundreds of them every class around the, around Australia and 
they're all thinking, I'm learning how to fight. I'm learning, I've got to, you know, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to be dominated. But like I said before, you're going to, you're going to learn to be dominated and you're going to learn how to dominate. I understand. And I think Christian once said to me that as you, as you um, get more experience, you stop using strength and you start using skill. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, and, it's, yeah. it's normal that when you don't have the skill, you try to compensate with strength. Um, but that also brings a lot of the, the fear and anxiety around it because if you're using that, that strength, you think everybody else is using that strength as well. You know, so then you think yeah, you true. feel like you're in a, you're training like you're in a fight, which. Yeah, I find too, Aaron, like it's a good, good point you're making because just coming back off a sort of a little bit of a layoff off training, I, I was getting back in with a couple of really good blue belts there and I found myself, um, not that I question my technique, but I found my cardio wasn't good. And ironically, what I was doing to compensate their jiu-jitsu was using a little bit of strength. And I thought, man, I haven't done this in a while. And what I was finding, I was actually burning myself out, completely moving away from jiu-jitsu until I'd spoke to Anthony, the brown belt. And he said, look, one thing I've been doing, Sav, is with these guys is, you know, saying, hey, can you start on top? And I'm offering up side control bottom. And I'm like, mate, I'm nowhere near ready to be putting myself inside control bottom. And he said, look, get underneath there, hang out. And he said, you're fine with these guys. They will make a lot of mistakes. You know, they do make space. Um, even if they're sitting on top and they are tight, just sit tight, keep your frames there. And he said, eventually they're going to try something. That's what they do. There's your gap. So I trained like this, you know, for a week or two afterwards. And it was just, it was such good advice, you know, and I was from going to trying to, you know, tussle and muscle with these guys to basically saying, here, take your best position. I found it so much more easy to find space. And then mentally for that person that you're fighting with, when you get that reversal and get on top, you've gone from your very worst to a better position. So yeah, it's quite interesting. You know what, you know, you fight power. You know, you know what you've also done by doing that though, you've gone from, Mm. you're moving away from that fight to win Putting, starting in a bad position where you have to, like, it's the game to fight. I'm, I'm in, you know, you've got my back with the seatbelt. Um, okay, that's that's the position we're starting in today. That This is the game we're playing today is escaping back, you know, and it, it takes the fight out of it. And, and, you know, the more you're in a bad position, the better you get at, at defending it. And this is an, another thing, Benny, that what happens with, you know, white belts and blue belts, they're always trying to win, which means they're usually, they spend a lot of time trying to be in a dominant position. So their defense takes a long time to get better because they never put themselves in bad positions. They avoid them at all costs. Mm. So the learning slows down. Yeah. The learning slows down. Um, but if you walk on that mat and say, what am I going to learn today? Or, you know, put yourself in those bad positions, you are playing, a, well, you are, you are learning a game. You're not fighting. Because everybody else is fighting to stay out of those positions. And I guarantee when you get to brown belt or black belt, you go, I've been here a thousand times. In Pan Am's, perfect example, Pan Am's in 2018, I think, um, I I was fighting upper weight and a guy pulled guard on me. And I went, like, he was bigger than me. I was expecting him to take me down. And I went, you know what? I'm supposed to be pulling guard on you. And then I kind of panicked and I tried to do something quickly. He swept me to mount. And I realized that I, I felt way better. I escaped mount straight away. I felt way better when he'd mounted me because I was on the bottom and I'd spent way more time defending mount than I had defending guard. So then 
I worked on guard, you know, but that's, that's the perfect example of how you get in your positions and you get it, you go to your happy place, but you're actually limiting your jujitsu. Yeah. So are you recommending that you might, that, you know, white belts or blue belts go into a role and say to, you know, like the person who they're about to roll with in their academy, hey, can we start from here so I can get some practice at this? 100%. And actually or, sort of. Or it does. Yeah, all of, mate, that's spot on. Yeah, or it doesn't have to be that. Say, it and, doesn't have to be that structured. You can just, like, they don't need to know you're doing it. Just give them your back or do yeah. whatever, you know. Like yeah. you're in control of that role, of how it works. But if you're in a, if you're in a fight for, I think it's, it's funny, I see like two guys on their knee, both on their knees, like desperately fighting for one to be on top and one to be on bottom. They spend the first three minutes of the role trying to, trying to get, you know, that's a waste of three minutes for me. If you're on your knees, I'm going to sit on my ass. If, if, if you're on your ass, I'm going to sit on my knees. Mm-hmm. And we're going, to, we're, going to get, mm-hmm. we're going to start doing jiu-jitsu from the very first second. You know, but I, I yeah, you got to okay. engagement's a priority. You guys know that in fundamentals. I and mean, I'll tell you, you either you know you jump into that city guard pool really quickly, or you know you look for that takedown. Like you, you can't be, you know, as I call it, the white belt dance. It's exhausting. It's draining. It's tiring. And you know, as Cootie mentioned in his first fight, you know, like you, you literally just blow your grips out. You know, it's like when he did his first competition. Like your arms are cooked. Your lactic acid's there. Like, mate, let's go city guard pool. Close your guard. You know, shoot up an armbar, a triangle, or try and get that takedown and play on top. They're your choices, you know. If you miss them, have you know options for what you can do in regards to escapes and things like that. But you've got to get going. Start to practice. It's all just dead time, dead. Yeah, yeah. Just start to practice. Just a follow-on question. Just a follow-on question from before. You were saying, you know, that people gas out really quickly. What's your what to both of you? What's your you know how, what would your advice be to white belts like me? Because I gas out very quickly, but I'm not. I, I don't find I'm trying to dominate. I just find I'm trying to defend, and I gas out really quickly and actually Luke who I was rolling with was like just calm down Ben you know like you know and I was under his belly and I was a bit terrified you know what's your advice Mate, you guys you gotta know? learn can just control like to, to the, I know it's hard and we've gone through this in this this chat that you know this scale of you know lack of technique requires more strength that's how you guys are seeing it you know but I've been in situations with you know whites blues purples whatever it may be where I'm in a controlling position so say for example I've got a you know, crossbody top or your know, mount. And these people, instead of just sort of, you know, relaxing, taking a moment to reset, they are fighting like hell. They're moving like they're being electrocuted. And, you know, I'll say, hey, listen, not for my benefit, but you, you need to slow down, you know, protect your mount, you know, get your hands up on your neck. You know, just wait for me to move, wait for me to create some space. What if I don't? It's okay, man, just little bumps, little movements. But right now you're moving around like you're being electrocuted. It's exhausting. Yeah, it's just, it's, you know, one of the, there's an old saying in jiu-jitsu, you hear it so regularly, you know, it's, and, and it's hard as a white belt and it's hard in anything you do in life. Like, but you, you've really got to, the mind controls everything. You know, if you can't learn to be, you know, comfortable in those terribly uncomfortable positions, things are going to be hard. This does take time. Um, but my best advice is slow down, breathe, think a little bit, you know, like Cootie said earlier, it's, you guys are just constantly fighting to win. You're not, you're not, you know, you're not putting yourself in that difficult position. Uh, and, and I can assure you, and I'm sure Aaron will back this up. If you guys start to play like that, putting yourself in the worst position, and you get submitted over and over and over, do you know how much more you're going to be growing than the guy who is just giving it everything he got? You are talking about being. I'm talking about you being submitted multiple times, but you're actually growing ten times more than the guy who is just tussling and bustling. Think about that. Yeah. Look, John, John Jacques, um, 
he says, you know, don't move. You don't have to move, right? And Sav talked about relaxing and, and settling. And you talked about someone being on you, right? What an awful You talked about someone being on you and, you know, being a little bit panicked underneath or whatever. Now, what he does a lot, he says, like, he'll, if you've got your, you know, your hands across your chest or where they should be, you can breathe. Then he will get someone on top. Mm. Then he will get someone else to lay on top of that person. And he'll stack about eight or nine people on top of the person on the bottom. And But he's got his hands here. Yeah. He can breathe. He'll say, Aaron, can you breathe? I'll say, yeah. And he goes, well, why do you have to move? Great point. And unless your throat is being attacked in the hierarchy of threats, if your throat is number one or and then your arms, you know, or whatever, but moving – or someone laying on you is doesn't come into it at all, and if when you, and every time you move, you're losing air, right? Hundred percent. And then when when someone's on top of you in side control, if in a side control situation, John Jack always says, "Whoever moves first loses." So if the top person moves first, he gives you space. If the bottom person moves first, you mm. give him space because it's a pretty equal position. So. Next time I'm in the gym, yeah. we're going to have a role and we're going to play around. I'm going to show you some of that stuff and I'll let you roll with me and you can do whatever you like and I'm just waiting for you to dictate. I'm not trying to dictate. I'm waiting. I, John Jack, when you roll with him, he never, ever, ever submits anyone or tries to submit anyone, well, obviously, unless you're being a dick um, and trying to smash him, um, until he's broken you and you're giving him submissions. He's saving his energy. He's not trying to enforce anything. That's a that's very very old school, isn't it? These guys are geniuses at doing that. They just wear you down. You you you. There's so much that they can take, and they just break you that's, until you're basically you know opening up. It's in, I've seen this. But that's what jujitsu is. It's not a fight. Yep. It's a it's a it's a. I'm going to let you burn out first, and then why why would I try and force you to burn out by using my gas? When I'm not getting anything in return, and especially when you fight, when you start to fight in the old guys um, and in the, the higher belts, the and the you only spend you only spend a bit of gas if you know you're going to get a return. If you're not, it's a waste of gas. That's you know that's actually true across yeah. everything. I was just actually thinking, yeah, it's true. It's true across everything. I, I'm looking forward to this role, Aaron, because one the, the other thing that was came to my mind as you were talking is is. You know, Sav's taught me so much over the last 12 months, but I, I can absolutely not remember a word of it when somebody's on top of me. Like, I, you know, like I know what the next move should be. And if I ever sort of get on top, which is rare, I'll go, okay, what do I do now? And I kind of have to go, can we just have 30 seconds out so I can just think about I, nothing? Like comes, I go blank. Thing, I, the I thing is too, Benny, like with jujitsu, when you first arrived, and this is something that happens with myself and Aaron and, Look, where you've come from, from when you walked in the doors, I mean, you, you know, you remember, mate, and, you know, you didn't want to even go on the match. You didn't do classes. You said, look, Sab, I want some privates. I said, no, let's get you in the classes. Let's, you know, build your confidence there. But you said, I'd like to, you know, build some confidence on privates, which you did. And then you come into the classes. You dre your demonstrations, your drills, your understanding of jiu-jitsu now is 10 times where it was. But what's happening is these expectations like we're always you know we get somewhere and we're like i want to be here so this is a great thing with jiu-jitsu you're constantly wanting to grow but you know where you've come from to where you are there's been a, a massive massive transition and you not knowing and not being able to think about where you want to what you want to do when you're under those 
pressure situations is quite normal. You know, we all go through it. Um, I think the difference between a white belt and a black belt is the white belt thinks erratically. The black belts not only think, they don't think erratically, but they're not only thinking about where they're going, but they're thinking about two steps behind that. You know, there's always a plan in place. So, you know, don't, don't be too hard on yourself, mate. Um, it's normal. You're under pressure. You know, th- this will change with the transition of your journey and stuff like that. But I, yeah. I actually enjoy it. I, I actually enjoy it because it's so challenging. I love that blanking because it means that I'm doing something that I am, that's completely out of my comfort zone and it's exactly what I need. I would life. take it one further and say that I'm excited for you because I hear like what you're saying there. I see it as a massive opportunity for you to overcome something and go, when you overcome anything that you think you can't, that you fear or you doubt or whatever, whenever you overcome yourself in any way, you end up, you walk out, you, you're pumped. You, I, I can't even explain it. Like I'm so passionate about this topic of, of, you know, the things that we think we can't do and the fears. And it all comes from my breakdown in my early 20s, which is like 30-odd years now of, of, of kind of trying to find ways to, to be more comfortable and more calm in life. Um, I reckon you've got a great opportunity here to, for a big, big growth spurt. I'm, I'm pumped uh, for you. Uh, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree, mate. I, every, everything in life. I mean, just back to Maruba Beach with me and Cutie, I remember when I used to first go down to the beach, I would uh, walk with my board, but I wouldn't – I didn't like my feet not to be able to touch the sand. I mean, I'm a pretty tall guy too, so, you know, I could go quite a way out. <laughs> but, um, I mean, honestly, and, and the, it, water terrified me. But it's something that, you know, I, I like Cootie saying, like, you know, I, I ended up going out and, you know, catching waves all the time and heading over to Vui and going out to Lurline and, oh, you know, the Bommie and Kujin. Yeah. And I'd go and, yeah, go and surf these astronomically big waves and, you know, get pounded down to the bottom. And this is from a guy who wouldn't, didn't like to feel the this feel of the sand go away from his feet. And look, I've, I've told this to some people. People say, oh, how do, how do you do that? You go out in those big waves and remember being out of voodoo one day with one other guy and I'd taken off on a you know pretty big wave, didn't make it to the bottom, got absolutely smashed. My board got taken away. And there's a quite a strong rip at voodoo. All the water rushes around from Cronulla. And like, so when you're paddling out, it's really kind or well, it depends. Like you can work both ways. But so I was caught in the, in, you know, the, the channel there and I mean caught in the, the impact zone and I'd worked my way over to the side thinking, you know, I've got to get out of these waves, but this rip, I mean, mate, I had no chance on going against it. So I kind of just had to hang out there and old mate had got a wave in and I'm thinking, okay, I went, you know, this is it. You know, it all ends at voodoo, you know, see you later, Sav. And thank God this guy's come back out. And I just said, mate, do you mind if I just, you know, get a get, hold onto your board for a while? I've been out there 15, 20 minutes and a pretty big swell. And at the back of voodoo, it's a, it's a, like, you know, it's a couple of K drop off. We're talking about major deepness here. Like, you know, big, big things live down there. And so I floated onto this guy's board and he just said, look, I, you know, your board's in there. I can go and search for it and whatever. And he said, look, I reckon I put, take you back over into the impact zone. And you're going to have to work, work your way back in slowly to which I did. Now, you know, the, the achievement of that on its own is just like thinking about a guy who couldn't let the sand go from under his feet to going into such a heavy situation and nice and calmly working my way back in. And this is mind over matter. If I started to panic, I probably would have drowned. Now, the, the, the thing is here, if you put me into a, a swimming pool, okay, even today, 
if you put me in a swimming pool in you know a deep pool with no water and you put me in the middle of the pool mate there's a good chance i'm going to drown i i have i'm not a good swimmer i'm not strong in you know still water you put me in an ocean you know eight to ten i mean like proper eight foot waves ten foot waves and you take my board away mate no worries i'm cool as a cucumber salty water you're floating around a little bit you know the the swells moving you around you put me in a pool mate you better have one of those angel rings handy (laughs) but again that's just going back to to what aaron's saying about achievements and you know how good you feel doing that it's it's one of the biggest you know i'm not talking about jiu-jitsu now i'm talking about something personal to me that just you know i don't know how i got there but it just perseverance consistency and yeah overcoming yourself But rolling in from what we've been talking about, Sav, as just finishing up, I, I just thought we'd mention the um, mental health seminar that we had. At, yep. Um, now, I wasn't able to make it and I was very upset about it. Um, mm. But tell us about it. Yeah, just really, um, you know, something that was, my mum was very sick with schizophrenia, you know, ever since I was a baby. So it was something that was quite important to me, although um, I must admit going into it, I, I, kind of thought oh, I know about this you know I'm you know I've lived my mum and you know I, I'll go in for support but this is probably you know nothing I need to really hear uh, the emotions that were in me in that seminar and how well deliver how well Higgsy delivered that and just you know talk I mean it got pretty intense with suicide and you know just I mean look he, he made a really good analogy I'll just there's so much to talk about in that but he you know he's saying if somebody was to walk into the academy and they've got a broken leg. What's the first thing you're going to say to that person? You know, hey, are you okay? Uh, is there anything I can do for you? You know, we, we, we drive our cars, uh, you know, around and around and around. And, you know, every now and again, we need to service them. You know, they, they, need, they need to be serviced. Um, no one ever says, you know, we, we never go and check how our head is. He said, do you know how hard our minds work each day, day in and day out? And no one ever stops to consider or no one ever asks. And he said this, this thing with, you know, are you okay? He said, it's amazing. But, you know, most people will say, and he was quite funny here. He said, you know, you ask someone, are you okay? And he said, you know, the most common one, yeah, doing good, mate. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, or, yeah, everything's great. Never yeah, better. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And he, yep, fantastic. You know, well, mate, everything's good my way. You know, all this type of stuff. But he said, you know, and that's where it ends. But, you know, you, you should be saying to that person when they say, yeah, I'm okay. Well, you know, how good are you, mate? What's, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how are things, you know, like, and if you open yourself up to that, because the are you okay thing, it's a pretty easy, yeah, like, yeah, mate, I'm good. Oh, okay, sweet, mate. Talk to you soon. No one's ever going to say to you, no, I'm, you know, I'm not good. I'm, I'm struggling, you know, and he's saying, you know, you really got to take the time. And if you do open yourself up, people will actually Absolutely. open back up to you. Yeah, look, mate. I, I am not feeling great and, you know, and this is what we need to be doing for each other is a little bit more is looking out and making sure that p- people are okay. And Man, it, look, it changes, it yeah. changes quickly. Yeah. Like I always talk about when I talk, so I do talk on a couple of mental health podcasts in the US is that when a kid breaks his leg and you put a cast on it, they're that proud. Yep. They're that proud that they've got a cast on their leg that everybody signs it. But right. as soon as it's here, it's oh shit! I'm not talking to anyone about that. I'm I'm weak. I'm whatever. Like it's 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 brave to be vulnerable, and you know it's strong. It's strong to be vulnerable, and we've got to lead by example and be vulnerable ourselves. 
before anyone's going to open up. 100%. That's my last rant for the. This uh, is not my most passionate topic. No, I. Uh, mine too. I I'm very fortunate enough as to have knows to work with a lot of contact um, social workers, and they have this thing that they do, and it's so normal to them. Uh, following up on Sav saying, you know, um, you know, you, you service your car but not your mind. Uh, social workers regularly go in for what they call professional yeah. supervision, and that is to check to check how they're carrying their mental load from the work that they do yeah. with people, and. It, it's such a it's such a simple thing. It's such an important and simple thing, but that's missed. People that people, you know, I've I've had seven years of therapy myself. I've had about I've had about so thirty. I'm, I'm okay. I've with had it, about thirty. <laughs> no, no joke. Off and on, I can't wait to get off to and that. on. I've been doing therapy for thirty years since my early twenties. Um, but you know, you, you only need to look at every gym, and every gym is packed with people spending hour upon hour upon hour working on the physical side but won't do five minutes here we're gonna yeah. we're gonna get in trouble for this going too long um sav you want to wrap it up for now we'll get him back later on <laughs> yeah look thanks so much Aaron. look i i you know that's that's the character of aaron i mean there is so much more Amazing. of a story behind him and it's just really nice to be able to sort of clank heads and i mean I think I could sit here with Aaron and go in many, many different directions, some probably that, that we couldn't put on air, but we could just go and you can see that the forks in our lives go in lots of different directions, but we can quite easily relate to each other. And um, yeah, I'm really honoured to have a mate like this in my What's... life, you know, and just seen his mum, you know, last uh, couple of weeks ago when she come in and <laughs> it just it's just so, so much history and, and so much good times and good memories there and here we are here. But I think we do need to come back into this because there is so much more of a story behind Aaron, but I do appreciate the conversations today. Um, it's very raw, very natural, and I like the directions it heads in. Sparks a lot of memories, a lot of emotions. Um, yeah, just really nice to have you on, mate. So thanks so much. Um, Benny, absolute, always a pleasure. And, you know, really Incredible. appreciate you guys and your time. But for now, one, two, three. <laughs>